when God saves you, he gives you a righteousness that you cannot achieve. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, Paul writes. He said he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, A Marriage Made in Heaven. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10 says, Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Are you dressed in the right attire for the coming wedding? Today, we are going to see that the groom will be honored. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. If you've been with me to Israel before, you look in these hotels and you see these Orthodox Jews, Jewish men, young men in their 20s, often early 20s. And they're meeting a woman for the first time. They're in that public place. And many times after the first date, they get married. Now, they both have a yay or nay, but that's how it's done. I said, well, what's the divorce rate like? Well, he said under you know, one sect of Jewish people, they have a zero divorce rate. Under the broader categories of the Orthodox, he said, sadly, we have a 5% divorce rate. I said, well, that's better than America. You know, he said, yeah, you're, I said, we're 53%, 53%. And so that's what's going on here, is they're, they're betrothed. And so Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together to be with child. They're called husband and wife. And so what does a woman do during the betrothal? What does a man do? A man leaves, and what does he do? He goes and prepares a place for his bride. Now, when the agreement is made, there's a purchase price. He has to be able to demonstrate to the father of that bride that he can take this young woman and provide for her. And so there's a purchase price. And by the way, when young couples come to me and they want me to marry them, I won't marry them unless he can demonstrate on paper that he can support her. And if he can't do that, I said, well, you know, you can go to the local magistrate and He'll be happy to sign your document. But I'm not in the business of marrying people. I'm in the business of building Christian homes. And I want you to be successful. I don't want you to fail. And so very much the same, there was a purchase price. And then he would go and prepare a place. And it was during that year period that the bride basically proved that she was pure and undefiled. Then he would come. There was a great ceremony. Maybe we'll study this if we look at Matthew 25 with the parable of the ten virgins, and it usually took place at night, and so on and so forth, and then they go back to the father's house, his father's house, and that's when the relationship is consummated. So what did Jesus do? He agreed with a purchase price, and he reminded us of that great purchase price, did he not, at the Lord's Supper? This is the blood of the new covenant. With his body and blood, that's the purchase price. And he said, hey, look, 
I'm coming back, but right now you're in the betrothal period. And so Paul said this to the Corinthian church. He said, for I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Right now, just like the bride would prepare herself for her husband, the church is to be prepared for Christ. You know, you get into a discussion. I was in a discussion with a young woman and it wasn't like five minutes into the discussion. She told me she was engaged. I said, well, tell me about the young man. She couldn't stop because she was in love with him. And if you're betrothed to Christ and you're not looking forward to seeing him in heaven, either A, you're not saved, or B, Your heart is out of fellowship with God. Now, sadly, biblical prophecy is one untaught area in Holy Scripture. But one of the rewards that God gives are for those who love his appearing. Why? Because when you love and long for the appearing of Christ, what do you do? You get ready. You prepare your heart. You want to live faithfully. You want to serve the people of God. You want to live in holiness before the Lord. And so here in verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. And of course, the bride that is pictured here is the body of Christ, born-again believers. And if you've taken my course on ecclesiology, it's available at the Institute of Biblical Studies, searchthescriptures.org. You know that the word ecclesia, church, is never used of a building, only of people. This is not community Bible church, technically. Now, we say that because it's a modern-day usage of the word, We don't really go to church. We are the church. This is the meeting place of Community Bible Church. And collectively, we are the body of Christ, not just locally, but with the whole universal church, all born-again believers. And so the bride is giving glory and honor and praise to the groom. Why? Look at it. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. So another aspect of the betrothal was the price paid by the groom. In this case, it was the blood of the Lord Jesus. For the marriage of the lamb has come. He's referred to here as the lamb. Christ gave himself for the church, the scripture says. We've been bought with a price. You were bought with the blood of God. Please understand that when a woman is pregnant, the blood that is flowing through the little baby in her womb is not the blood that is in the mother's veins. Paternity suits years ago were determined by whether or not it matched the father's blood. But Jesus didn't have a human father. He was sired by God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God overshadowed Mary's womb. And the blood flowing through the veins of Jesus was the blood of God. You said, I didn't know God had blood. He did when he was here on the earth. And so Paul states it plainly in Acts chapter 20 that you were purchased, the church was purchased by the blood of God. It's holy blood, it's precious blood. That's the purchase price. He has left, where has he gone? To prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many dwelling places. Mansions, the old King James says, the word mansion in the 17th century meant a room. Today it means something entirely different. In my father's house are many rooms, you could say. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's the rapture. He's going to take us back where? To the father's house. 
And so this is the promise. He's gonna come for us. He's gonna take us to the Father's house. Why? Because he's prepared a place for us. And when we get there, what is he going to do? There's gonna be a time of evaluation where God looks at our service to Christ. There's gonna be a presentation where the bride is presented to the Father. Again, this slide pictures the big scheme of things. Uh, The rapture takes place, the bema, the judgment of the just unfolds in heaven, and then the marriage of the Lamb takes place. Now notice verse eight here, it says, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So Christ's bride has been robed, the text says, in fine linen, bright and clean. Three descriptive words. First, fine linen. That speaks of an expensive, valuable cloth or robe, just like a bridal dress is often very expensive, and women want to spend many times a lot of money. Uh, It bothers us as men if we're paying for the wedding. But secondly, her bridal dress is also bright. It's the word lampos. We get our English word lamp from it. It's bright. It's shining. It's uh, in addition. Third, it's it's clean. It's pure. In fact, in Revelation 4 and in Revelation 7, it's described as being white. Why is it that in Western cultures, a bride will wear an expensive piece of cloth that's bright, that's clean, that's white? Where do they get that from? Right here, from the text of Holy Scripture. For the fine linen, here it says, is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, at first reading, that may seem a little confusing because all true believers know that you cannot earn your way to heaven. So how is it that the fine linen, these magnificent, clean, bright robes are the righteous acts of the saints? Because in the Revelation, robes are used in two ways. First, of the robe that God gives you when you are justified. When God saves you, he gives you a righteousness that you cannot achieve. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, Paul writes. He said he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Unless you have the very righteousness of God, you will never see the living God unless you see him in judgment. And so Paul tells the Philippians, His plan is to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own drive from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So when God saves you, he doesn't simply forgive your sin where he wipes the slate clean. That would mean you just have a a clean slate. It would leave you with nothing, and you can't get into heaven with nothing. You need the righteousness of Christ. Not only does he wipe the slate clean, that's why the definition of justification, just as if you never sinned, is inaccurate. It's also just as if you had always obeyed. He imputes God's righteousness to you. The very righteousness that he has, he credits, he imputes to your account. And so in Revelation 7, 14, it says they have washed their robes and made them white, how? In the blood of the lamb. But here in verse eight, he speaks of the righteous acts of the saints. So in other words, there is both the gift of Christ when we are giving his righteousness, but then there is a reward for your service to the Lord. And it's really Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 brought together. Most of you know that. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
it, this whole by grace through faith process, the whole salvation process, is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast or brag. But then the next verse says, for we are his workmanship, poema. We get our English word poetry. We're God's poetry created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Why? So you can walk in them. So we're not saved by works, but we're saved unto or for good works. And so while good works cannot get you into heaven, and while they are certainly the proof that you have been made a new creature in Christ Jesus, when you get to heaven for the works God did through you, he will reward you. Jesus spoke about laying up treasure in heaven. He's not talking about earning salvation. He's speaking to his own people. He's talking about living for things that matter, living for things that are eternal. And it's here deemed the righteous acts. Now, God doesn't put you under some kind of pressure, some kind of saying, well, now I'm saved. Now I got to perform. Listen, I hope you are with us in the last two Wednesday nights. And the next Wednesday night to follow is the most important. You do not want to miss it a week from Wednesday. What God will reward you for is the works that he does through you. God is working in and through us those works that he has written beforehand that you can live them out. In other words, when you're yielded to the Spirit of God, and it's important that while you have the Spirit of God, that you are filled with the Spirit of God. So next time we're going to look at the four responsibilities we have from the human side so that the Spirit of God can fill us. But when we are filled with the Spirit of God, God ministers through us, and in heaven he rewards us. It's a beautiful picture. It's described as the righteous acts of the saints. But works that are done for your own achievement, for your own honor, in your own power, are nothing more than wood, hay, and stubble at the judgment, and there's no reward on that day. And so the scripture speaks of this bride that has made herself ready, and what will follow, what the Net Bible calls a banquet, what the CSB calls a wedding feast, what our text here says, the marriage supper. God will robe you, not only in that robe of righteousness that he gave you at salvation by grace, but the righteous acts that he did in and through you. And this is a beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. Right now, we're covered according to Ephesians in spots and wrinkles, but not on that day. Right now, in many ways, we are despised and rejected of men like our Savior, but it's all going to change. The bride will be beautiful, all right? Secondly, the guests will be glad. Not only will the bride be beautiful, the guests will be glad. Now remember right now we're just betrothed. Jesus is coming back to bring us to the marriage of the lamb. And so the best is still yet to come. He's going to take us home. And I know the best is yet to come, not just because scripture reveals it. I know it from experience. I mean, I think about my own wife. There's no one in this earth that I love more, that I am closer to, that I enjoy spending time with than my bride. And yet when I think of the Lord Jesus and I think of the love that I have for her, it pales compared to the love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. And so the best is yet to come. Verse 9 says, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So when you are a bride at your wedding, it's a wonderful blessing to be there. It's an incredibly special day, but it's a potential great blessing for those guests that you invite. 
But in a Jewish wedding, the guests are not invited by the bride. To this day, they're invited by the groom. The groom invites them. And so he says, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know the word blessed in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Makarios, same word. It means happy, fulfilled, satisfied. Blessed are those who are invited. And of course, this is one of many reasons for a pre-tribulational rapture. You have to go up to the Father's house as promised. You have to be given your robe to be able to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You've got to go up before you can come down. But with that said, this is a magnificent reception that is going to come. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, obviously, the bride, she's not the guest. She's going to have guests with her. He says here, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's going to be there with her? Well, there's a lot of folks who are going to be there with her. One, all those tribulation saints who have been martyred, those who have acknowledged Jesus as Lord. In addition, the Old Testament believers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You remember what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day? In that place, because of their unbelief, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out, and they will come from east and west and north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. So passages like this affirm Old Testament saints, all the heroes of the faith that you can read about in Hebrews 11 will be there. John the Baptist, he's called a friend of the bridegroom. He'll be there. Jesus said of John, we studied it last Wednesday, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, or truly, I say to you, amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John will be in this kingdom. John will be a part of the great wedding feast. And yet John died on the other side of the cross. So while he had a unique relation with the spirit, he doesn't have the same relationship the new covenant saints have. And so these words, the ends, are true words of God. Why does he say that? I mean, of course it's true. Because he wants to give a note of assurance in light of all that the people of God have gone through, especially in this seven-year period. In light of all the mistreatment of the saints. We're up in the baptismal today, and we're talking about the church in Africa and all the hardships some of those brothers in Africa are experiencing and being executed. We've got a lot to look forward to. He's giving an added note of assurance. While it may seem too good to be true, it's not. Now quickly, and I'm done. Beyond the bride that's beautiful, the guests that will be blessed, there's the groom that will be honored. The groom will be honored. We read now, beginning in verse 10, notice, then I fell at his feet to worship him. Notice it's a small letter, though there are no caps or small letters, so to speak, in the Greek text. It's all caps or all small letters, depending on the manuscript. But we differentiate when the context is clear. So this is not Jesus. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. That's obvious from the context. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, of course, the pronoun him is not Christ because Christ is God. This is one of the angels contextually that he sent out to be involved in this whole process. 
But why does John fall down on his face at the feet of an angel to worship him? It's a good question. As I've given it a lot of thought, I just think he's just so overwhelmed emotionally. He's heard these great four hallelujahs like the sound of rushing waters. And he's just lost in the emotion of it all. And he falls down and he worships. Now he knew better in chapter one. Who does he fall down and worship at? The Lord Jesus. And of course, I suppose if one of God's mighty, majestic angels came into your bedroom tonight, you might fall down and lose your head and worship. So let's not rag too big on John. But this man is just this angel. He's a person. He's not a human person. He's an angelic person. But they are persons. Angels have mind, will, and emotions. Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship him. You know, the Bible teaches you should worship God and to worship anyone else is sheer idolatry. And yet John worships Jesus. The women in Matthew 28, they fall at his feet and they worship him. The blind man worships him. Jesus never tears his robes like Peter or, John, or Paul when someone tries to worship them. He receives worship. Why? Because he is God Almighty. And then he ends, he says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That is the very nature and purpose of prophecy is to testify to Jesus. Now, how are we going to apply this passage? Let me make some applications in closing. Number one, is your study of prophecy causing you to fall in love with Christ? Is your study of prophecy causing you to fall in love with Christ? See, the ultimate end of prophecy is not the what, it's the who. In the cults of our day, they make prophecy and they boil it all down to an emphasis on a what. But in Scripture, it's the who. The cults will try to come to your door to get you to believe something. God wants you to believe in someone, and his name is Jesus. And let me say parenthetically, many of God's people, when they study prophecy, they get lost in all the details and argue over maybe some, non, uh, some things that are not that cr critically important, and in the process, they miss Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The book opens. This is the apocalypsis. The unveiling is the revelation of Jesus. And a right study of prophecy should cause you and move you not into something but someone to love him more fully. Secondly, I would ask by way of application, are you dressed in the right attire for the coming wedding? Now think about this. This is a serious question to ask and answer. If Jesus were to come back today, would you be invited to the marriage of the Lamb? I can tell you, you will not if you do not have the gift of his righteousness. On one occasion, Jesus is speaking about the coming kingdom and, and he describes the kingdom through a parable and he uses a wedding feast to unfold its meaning. And if you know the parable, the king pictures God the Father and the son pictures Jesus Christ, God the Son, and, and many are invited, many religious people, but they have all kinds of excuses, just like people today. So he sent them out, and the rest represent the Gentiles, the despised, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And in the parable, one guy shows up who's not dressed in the proper attire. And Jesus says, friend, 
How did you come in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. My wife and I were in Washington, D.C. one Sunday, and we got an Uber to drive us to church. And as we got in that man's car, he had Christian music playing. I thought, oh, this is interesting. It was, it was evangelical Christian music. I said, oh, are you a Christian? He said, well, I'm a Roman Catholic. I said, oh, that's great. I said, can I ask you a question? And in the course of the conversation, I said, in the, I'm giving you the bottom line. It didn't all go down this fast, you know. On a scale of zero to 100, zero, I don't know. A hundred, I'm sure. How certain are you if this were your last day on earth that you go to heaven? Without answering, he said, let me ask you a question. I said, sure. He said, if God is a God of love, and I believe he is, I think everyone will go to heaven. Without making a long story longer, I basically said to him, look, you have innately a sense of right and wrong, what's just and what's unjust. And I gave him some illustrations of something evil and heinous had been done to him. And I said, you would want justice because you're made in the image of God. That's why you know the difference between right and wrong, what's just, what's unjust. God wrote his law into your spiritual DNA, Romans 2.15 says. And God is loving, as you said, but he's just. And he will punish sin, but you can receive the one who took that punishment for you in your place. But if you ignore him or reject him, you will leave God absolutely no choice but to face the eternal wrath of God. I can tell you this morning on the authority of this book that you will not be invited to the marriage of the Lamb followed by the marriage supper of the Lamb unless you've received Jesus as your Lord. And you must hate your sin. There must be a disdain for what God calls wrong, and you must put your trust, your full weight, your full confidence in the one who died, was buried, and was raised for you. And if you will do that, You'll be given a robe of righteousness. The Spirit of God will regenerate you on the inside. You'll become a new creation. He'll help you to live for Christ and to serve him. And in heaven, he'll reward you for that. So would you be invited? And if you are one that will be invited, what kind of robe are you making for that coming day? Our Father, we love you and thank you for incredible grace. We deserve nothing but wrath, but you in your mercy came to rescue us through your Son. And thank you that we who are betrothed to him, that he will come again for us. He will take us to the place that he has prepared for us, and we will be with him forever. In the interim, help us to depend upon the Spirit whom you've sent as our comforter, as our helper that we might serve him well. Help someone today, Father, who's not really sure that heaven is their home, that they've been given this gift of righteousness. Help them to acknowledge that they cannot earn it or merit it, that they cannot save themselves. Help them in simple childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And give them the courage 
to make an unashamed confession of their faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 020. Remember that you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.